You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It's Tuesday, January 6th. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn, and you are riding home with me from Dalton. I'm hungry. I don't know if I'll stop and get some food or not. I may. I have enough gas to get there though, so we're not going to have a a little bit of a near disaster like we had last time. By now you know I dropped five episodes on you this weekend. For those of you who needed to get caught back up on the Christian commute, I I braved the bug-infested basement to grab my laptop and bring it upstairs. So now my kids have probably lost it. So we're going to have a new challenge to uploading episodes. Here's the challenge. I'm very sleepy. I don't know why. Sorry, that's a yawn. My doctor adjusted my thyroid medicine. I still don't think it's right. But I may have a subdued episode for that reason. For those of you listeners who are driving to Florida, Monica, I I hope those five episodes got you there. And this is just a reminder to you listeners that I will be going to Florida this month. So I will miss a few episodes there. But I'm here now with an episode, a full episode, because I have one more question in the inbox. After this, I'm out of questions. We're going to talk more about Ted Cruz and the Ugandan law. Now, this is going to be more broad about how do we view laws through a biblical lens. We'll talk about what Ted Cruz said about Uganda's law. And the reason we're going to use him as an example, here's why this is relevant, because he is supposedly a conservative Christian senator. Yes, he's a conservative senator. Yes, he votes how I would like a senator to vote. But when it comes down to having a Christian worldview, anybody can just say they have one. Well, how do they apply it? So we're going to look at some of his comments and judge them against the scripture. Providentially, uh, he, he made a render unto Caesar comment to criticize the Ugandan law, the one that we talked about Friday. And that's the Bible verse we're on in the Bible chapter review. We'll get to that. I have a question in the inbox about the atonement. <sighs> There's another yawn. Question in the inbox about the atonement. And we'll get to that after we do the Bible chapter review. We're in Matthew chapter 22. We're about to finish the pericope about Jesus being challenged by the disciples of the Pharisees about taxes to Caesar. So if you will recall, recall, the Pharisees sent their disciples to try and trap Jesus, and they acted like they were on his side. Oh yeah, Jesus. We know you speak the truth. Let's ask you this question. Totally not a trap question. And Jesus was says, "You're you're hypocrites. You phonies. Why are you trying to trip me up?" All right. And they asked him if it was lawful to pay the poll tax to Caesar. And this is trying to pit either him against the Roman authorities, or to pit him against the people, the populist support he is enjoying. And he says, you're hypocrites. But he, he answers their question anyway. And the, the, the way he does it is, is brilliant. He says, show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, 
and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and they went away. So you just had him pull out a coin. Who's on the coin? Caesar's on the coin. If any, does anybody have any coins? Let me see if I've got a coin in my car. Not readily. If I had a coin, it would have Abraham Lincoln on it. Or George Washington. Who's on the dime? Eisenhower? Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to make it home. And then who is uh, was it? Jefferson on the nickel? So in the United States, we have presidents on our money because these are the people that we have elected to run our country. If you go to Canada, I think they have the Queen of England on their money because she's technically their head of state. And if you go to England, once again, you'll have the Queen on the money. And it's basically saying that, all right, this money is backed by the government. This money has value in as much as the government says it has value in the land that it rules. And that's true even to this day, and it was true in Caesar's time. So the coin that they were using to pay the tax, the denarius, had Caesar's inscription on it. And Jesus is basically saying, you're paying Caesar's tax with Caesar's coin. And thus he really skirted their trap question. And before I end the Bible chapter review right there, because we're going to pick up on this later, I want you to think, is Jesus teaching something is he trying to teach a principle about taxation here? And the answer to that is no. Because Jesus is responding to a gotcha question. So keep that in mind. Because I think sometimes we Christians use this verse and say, Well, here's a biblical basis for paying our taxes. Which, by the way, we should. And I, you probably can use this as a biblical basis for paying your taxes. Jesus paid his taxes, even though he didn't owe them. Remember the incident with Peter getting the, uh, the temple tax out of the fish. And of course, Paul in Romans says, Tax to whom taxes do, honor to whom honor is due. Now, Paul is didactically teaching right there about taxes. Jesus is not speaking didactically here. He's responding to a trap question. So keeping that in mind, we need to be very limited with the way we utilize this statement today. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar and render unto God's what is God's. But systematically, we can fit this in to a biblical idea of government, what we might call a Romans 13 idea of government, that basically government is ordained by God. And one of the things that government ha governments have uh, is authority. And their authority backs up their money. I mean, there's money from every country. If you came to my country and tried to pay for stuff with Ugandan money, the vendor would probably say, no, I don't want Ugandan money. I want American money. Now, if you were in Uganda, they might take American dollars. I don't know. American dollars, they might spend anywhere because we have a powerful country and a powerful economy. But there are other countries out there, their dollars, their, their money, I should say dollars, their money's not worth what our money is worth. And this is where exchange rates come from. There's a market for that based on the perceived buying power of a given country's money. So, yes, Caesar as it were, which is would be the worldly government, Caesar does have the authority to levy, levy taxes. And he's the one who says that the money's worth something or not. He, not only do you have to pay Caesar's tax, you have to pay it in Caesar's coin. You get it? Uh, there's a connection there. 
And we'll we'll just put a pause on that, and we'll move on for the, from the Bible chapter review, taking the point that Jesus was shrewd, more shrewd than his critics, and more wise than they were. Now let's go to the inbox. Do you have a question about Christian theology or apologetics? You can write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. SethDunn88 at gmail.com. Or dial 470-315-0875. The Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. And as I mentioned, this is the one and only question I have in the inbox right now. It's been a long time since we've heard from Susan in Missouri. But here she is. And she's asking me, are we saved by Christ's blood? Or are we saved by his death? The short answer, it's the Forrest Gump answer. I think it's both. Okay, it's both. Um, and the reason she's asking this is she heard a KJV pastor say, we're saved by the blood of Christ. You may have heard the KJV type say, you got to plead the blood. Right? And anybody who says you're saved without the blood of Christ is wrong and they're preaching a false gospel. And Susan heard this KJV guy say that and say, wait. She's like, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. It's not the blood we're saved by, it's his death, right? It's his atoning death on the cross. You know, he could have bled and not died. By the way, the Mormons believe the atoning blood was Jesus' uh, sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wasn't dead yet. But here's the thing, Susan. I mean, I haven't met this particular fundamentalist KJV-only pastor you're talking about. But you got to speak his language. When he says the blood of Christ... He means Jesus' death on the cross. That, that's synonymous. He's talking about Jesus uh, bleeding and dying for us on the cross, and he's making that connection that in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the life was in the blood, and the animal was sacrificed on the altar, and it died, but they, they did something with the blood. They sprinkled the blood on the altar. Without the shedding of what? Blood... There can be no remission of sins. So when that KJV guy, I'm assuming he's KJV. I, th I think he, Actually, I think you said that. So when that fundamentalist pastor says, if your gospel ain't got the blood of Jesus, you don't have salvation because the blood saved us. He's absolutely right. But, but what he's saying is Jesus' death on the cross, which involved the shedding of the blood. That's just his way of saying it. And I, you know, I'm not trying to be ultra-charitable. I'm just talking about what I know about fundamentalists. Because I believe the same thing. I just don't always say it that way. And you've got to remember the fundamentals of the faith. Because that's, that's what these people are known for. What makes somebody an independent, fundamental, KJV-only Baptist, besides the King James, all right? Well, independence just means they're independents. But what's the, where's the fundamental part come from? How does that distinguish them from others? They are saying they adhere to the fundamentals of the faith. And these fundamentals were rejected by liberals and higher critics, especially in the early 1900s. That's where there, there was no such thing as a fundamentalist in the year 1000 AD because everybody just believed the Bible. It took higher criticism and modern liberalism to create fundamentalism because the fundamentalists were saying, no, no, we're sticking to the fundamentals of the faith. And if you deny these, you're not a Christian. And they're saying, well, we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. It's not some kind of metaphor. He was literally incarnated through a virgin. And we believe in his literal death and atonement on the Christ, on the cross, fundamentally. That Jesus was born of a virgin and then that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And the atonement is not some metaphorical thing like Christus Victor or Christus Exemplar. Exemplar. My Latin ain't real good. All right. 
It's a real thing on the cross that paid for our sins. So when the fundamentalist says the blood of Christ, it's not just believing that Jesus was this great teacher or that he had the answers. It's believing that he's, he shed his blood for our sins. And there is no salvation without Jesus shedding blood for our sins. So when he says blood, he means death. That's what he means, the death on the cross. They just like, you know, they got to plead the blood. That's just how they talk. So, Susan, thank you for, uh, for that question. And by the way, just in general, when you hear somebody say something like that, we're in a very connected society now. Just email them. Or call their church and ask them what they mean. They'll be glad to explain it to you. What we don't want to do, and we discernment bloggers, we owners of pulpit and pen uh, types, we need to be very careful when we critique someone's words, especially if they're like tweets or Facebook comments, and we don't talk to that person, and we don't clarify what they mean and then we go off on some critique of it we can run the risk of being too pedantic I'm not saying being overly charitable I'm saying understand what somebody means before you criticize him that being said now I'm going to spend 30 minutes talking about how Ted Cruz is wrong because of a tweet <laughs> so Friday I covered Ted Cruz's reaction, and I think I might have mentioned Russell Moore's reaction, to the Ugandan anti-homosexuality law. And that's not me describing the law. That's the actual name of the law. It's the Anti-Homosexuality Act. And to rehash, as I mentioned before, the bill criminalizes homosexuality criminalizes the promotion of homosexuality and creates a category of crimes called aggravated homosexuality and by the way we have that here too we have assault and aggravated assault and the penalty for aggravated homosexuality is death under the law and Ted Cruz said this this law criminalizing homosexuality is an abomination that's the word he chose. Abomination. Now, one could understand how a freedom-loving American, whether Republican or Democrat, uh, could take objection to this law because it restricts free speech. And it restricts free expression. So, in Uganda, it's not only illegal to commit the act of sodomy, it would be illegal to sell the little equal sign bumper stickers. It would be illegal to have an equality, equal rights campaign organization. It would be illegal to sell pride flags and have gay conferences to promote the gay lifestyle. It's not just saying you can't sodomize one another. It's saying you can't advocate for sodomy. So if Ted Cruz said something, or any politician, I don't, Democrat or Republican said, I don't support this law because it restricts free speech and the freedom of expression, and the government's going to punish you for expressing your opinion. I want to have a problem with that. This is America. One of our highest, highest ideals, highest valued things is freedom of expression and freedom of speech, the First Amendment. The Second Amendment, because we love our guns, gets more, uh, more attention because people are always trying to put gun control on us. Uh, but it's really, really like the First Amendment. It's the first one for a reason. You can say what you want. You're allowed to criticize the government. You will not restrict our speech or freedom of expression. And I think the counter-argument from the Ugandans would say, well, you Americans, don't, you don't allow somebody to yell fire in a crowded theater if there's no fire because it's dangerous. And what they're saying is homosexuality is so dangerous. It's like 
yelling fire in a crowded theater. I'm not, I'm not making that argument. I'm saying that's what they might say. Because, by the way, yelling fire in a crowded theater is not expressing an idea. So it, I don't think that's a good counter-argument, but that might be what they said. But that's not where Ted Cruz was going. He was saying it's a, a law that criminalizes homosexuality is an abomination. Well, in our English Bible, abomination hap happens to be the very word used by the translators to describe homosexual acts in the Old Testament. In Leviticus, it says, if a man lies with a man as with a woman, in other words, if a man has sex with a man, it is an abomination. And then the law says, they shall be put to death. That's a civil code under a very real government. The government at the time. So we talk about the general equity of a law, and we talk about the threefold distinction that we have uh, labeled in the Old Testament laws, ceremonial, civil, and moral. And we say, well, this is a civil law in the Old Testament, but it has general equity in it about sexual immorality. And the Bible says it's an abomination. Now the Hebrew word is the Hebrew word. So you can say the English word abomination and not mean that Hebrew word. But come on, Ted Cruz. You got the same Bible I do. I know your Bible says abomination in it. Come on. So that's what he said. And uh, Tom Askell from Founders Ministries saw him tweet that and said, hey, here's this Bible verse that says not only is homosexuality an abomination of a homosexual acts an abomination, here's it's a law that criminalizes it and carries a death penalty. You just said that was the ab an abomination. So essentially, Ted Cruz is saying <laughs> that God's law, that a, a, a civil law from God's word is an abomination. That's blasphemy. It just is. Now, here's the thing. We're not obligated in the United States or any other company to, to adopt these exact same civil laws. At the same time, we can't say something God ordained was abominable, can we? No, that's blasphemy. So, Ted Cruz responded to Tom Askell. I mean, he just, Tom Askell says what everybody's thinking, I think, when you see something like that. And says, well, no, that's, that's different. That's God's word. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar and render under God's what is God's. In other words, he's creating this false dichotomy between a, go a godly morality and a, a government morality, or God's laws and government's laws. So, God is ordained for us in the New Covenant governments and like they're totally separate from the Old Testament government. And it's one of those questions like, well, yes and no. You can't really say that this law in ancient Israel is in a separate category even though it's not binding on our, the government where I live, and even though we're not morally obligated to adopt it in the government where I live, it's still a law of a real nation and a real people at a real time. And it really doesn't have anything to do with a grace versus works mindset. You know, it, it, critics of the Old Testament act as, well, we're under grace now. God's always had grace. Always. So, so don't go there. But let me put a stop on that discussion for a minute and say, this is, why, this is what I don't like as an American. Why is one of our politicians opining on the law of a country across the ocean? It's none of our business. It's not. Hey, well, this is a human rights violation. All right, if you say that is, have an opinion on it, except it's not a human rights violation. Because how could it be a human rights violation? Because this is allowed for in the Bible. 
And I would even say that Uganda's law is not as stringent as the Levitical law about homosexuality. It's not. Because there was no aggravated homosexuality in the Bible. If, if, if you've sodomized the man, you're dead. Uganda says, like, it's not just sodomy, it's this aggravated sodomy. It's, it's taking advantage of a minor, giving somebody a sexually transmitted disease. It's like, yeah, it's bad, but you have to do really bad. And this is what really made me sad about what Ted Cruz did as I researched it further. And I'm thankful to uh, John Harris for covering this in his podcast because this is where I, I heard about it more. Ted Cruz responds with render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. To Tom Askell's argument that you can't call this law an abomination because the Bible had a similar law. And then Ted Cruz said, well, he responded to Tom Askell, well, do you think we should be executing criminals in America? Do you think this? Do you think that? He gave him a bunch of straw man questions, trying to put Tom Askell, Pastor Tom Askell, the quote-unquote man of God, into a bind. Who did that? And this is why we have to go back to the context of render unto Caesar uh, what is Caesar's. Ted Cruz is trying to use Matthew 22 as a principle that underlines a, a foundation about what governments can do in a New Testament world. But Jesus was just trying to get out of a trap set for him by wicked people who were hypocrites and actors. So when I see what Tom, what Ted Cruz did, and his dad's a pastor, but he's, um, forgive me, he's a whack job Pentecostal. So if your dad's a whack job Pentecostal pastor, I'm not exactly going to consider you the brightest crayon and sharpest pencil in the box, if, if a believer at all. What Ted Cruz tried to do with render unto Caesar, what is Caesar, and then his subsequent arguments to Tom Askell, was the very thing that the wicked disciples of the Pharisees were trying to do to Jesus, that is, trap him. Trap him unjustly. By the way, to defend themselves. Because the Pharisees and their disciples were in the wrong. Jesus condemned them. And Ted Cruz says, no, no, render it unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And I, I see that, and I'm like, dude, do you even understand the Bible? First of all, if you're going to say, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, in Uganda, their government and their prime minister and parliament, that's the equivalent of Caesar. They have made this law. It doesn't go against the Levitical system of laws. I can't find a conflict in the Bible for this law. Somebody could say, oh, well, you, these people, they're, they're dying and they don't have a chance to get saved. You're just, you're executing them and you're not showing them grace. Well, hold on, cowboy. Grace is God's thing. Render unto God's what is God's and render unto Uganda what is Uganda's. If Ted Cruz is going to say, render unto Caesar you got to recognize that Uganda is Caesar. They're so that's a sovereign nation. Don't come as a Western imperialist senator and tell Uganda what they can and can't do. But that's what he's doing. So even if he was somehow properly citing or invoking render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, he's doing it wrong. He's proving, he's, he's proving the other guy's case. He's proving Uganda's case. They can say, all right, we're Caesar. God has given this authority to us as the government. We can do what we want. Sorry, Ted Cruz. I always think it's funny, in a sad way, when people misapply the Bible, and then even the way they're misapplying it is wrong. It was like the other day when that guy, uh, who, who wrote in? It was it Jeff and his 
his friend said, well, see, the Jews are still separate people because of these order of Zadok. And I'm like, well, why are they getting married? Because we're not getting married in the eschaton. Explain that to me. See, you just used this wrong, and now let's use it wrong, and it disproves your case. Secondly, paying taxes with the government's money has nothing to do with the legitimacy of Levitical laws. Nothing. Ted Cruz could have just said, you know right, you know what? I was wrong to call it an abomination. I don't agree with it. But I really can't call it an abomination and I don't think a law like this has a place in modern society. Okay, fine. We talked about the pressures that Uganda is in with their public health crisis in their country. And can I just say good for them for standing in the face of the West on a, a, an issue of morality because Uganda, like other African nations, gets millions of dollars from the West just on the government dole. And they're like, you know what? Cut us off if you want to. Go ahead. And by the way, they know they know America won't do it. Hey, Ted Cruz, how about you listen to Rand Paul about giving our money away and stop giving our money away to these nations? And then if we're not giving millions of dollars to them anymore, maybe we won't have such an opinion on it. Anyway... That's my political opinion. This is not supposed to be a political show. Sorry. Why are we giving all this money away for them again? So when you, when you call something a human rights violation, where do our rights come from? From whom? They're from God. Do human rights come from Caesar or from God? Now, Ted Cruz should be able to tell you that they come from God and they're recognized by Caesar or the government. That we are born with certain inalienable rights. This is not the Bible. This is the, our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. This is our founding documents. We are endowed with, by our Creator. Man is endowed by his Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Or I would say the pursuit of property. That's what John Locke said. Those rights existed before the United States. All the United States did was recognize them, codify them, and pledge to protect them. So when you go around saying something is a human rights violation, it's a human rights violation to criminalize activity X you have to be able to use natural law I didn't say the Bible I said natural law because that's what John Locke was doing natural law to demonstrate that and by the way when you're talking about levels of authority um, the Bible is the highest level of authority it ultimately informs us on what God's standard is Doing natural law and natural theology is done from a common grace perspective. Or I should say a general revelation perspective, sorry. And the Bible is special revelation. It's more specific than general revelation. You know what? Special revelation? Leviticus. It's just as inspired as the New Testament. It's just as authoritative and we can take the general equity out of that law and we can say it is immoral to commit homosexual acts. We can do that from the Old Testament and the New. It's, it is. So you, it, Ted Cruz or any other government official criticizing any law from anywhere around the world, if you're going to say, forget homosexuality, it could be anything, if you're going to say that the law is unjust because... It's a human rights violation. You're going to have to show me why this person has this right. Now, let's go back to the Ugandan law. Basically, Ted Cruz is arguing, and I think I'm being fair to him, that consenting adults in their own home have the right to sodomize one another. 
it might not be the right thing to do. It could be harmful. It can be a sin, but they have the right to do it. And it is a violation of their human rights for any government to say that they can't do that. Now, let's just examine that. Ted Cruz, and I think a lot of people on the left or the right, they would not have any problem with a public indecency law. I can't go pick my wife out from the, up from the house, drive her down to Main Street in Cartersville on the public square, take her clothes off and start having sex with her right there. I'll, we'll, we'll get arrested. That's my wife. I can have sex with her whenever I want to. It's not a sin. In fact... It's, I'm obligated to have sex with her. That's what the Bible says. Uh, Paul says, do not deprive yourself of one another except for prayer, lest you give Satan a foothold. We, it is my Christian duty to have sex with my wife. All right? But I can't go have sex with her right in the middle of the town square or get arrested for public indecency. All right? So I don't think Ted Cruz would have a problem with a public indecency law that says you can't sodomize one another in the town square. So now we're going back to, well, you can have, it's your human right to have any kind of sexual congress with anyone that you want as long as you're consenting in your own home. In your own home. What makes your home your home? This is hey, this is we're using natural law now. We're talking about property rights. People refer to their house, their real estate as their property. Like this car is my property. No, it's not my property. I have a property in this car. In other words, I have the exclusive right to use this car. I have a property in my Kia Soul. Why? Cuz my dad gave it to me. How did he have a property in it? because he won it in a contest. Okay? So we're tracking the property rights back. They won it from, uh, oh, what is it? The, the, the orphanage charity. I forget the name of it. Advocates for Bartow Children. Why did Advocates for Bartow Ch Children have a property in the car? Because they bought it, or were, it was donated to them, or given to them, or however they bought it, I don't know, from the Kia dealership, from Terry Reed Kia. That's how you have to say Terry Reed Kia because his commercials say Terry Reed at the end. So they got it from Terry Reed Kia. How did Terry Reed Kia have a property right in it? Because they bought it from Kia. Why did Kia have a property right in it? Because Kia manufactured it. Their employees used their labor to buy the materials and put the car together. That's how you have a property in things. God, this is John, straight out of John Locke. God gave the world to mankind in common. And we can only have a property in things when we use our labor to obtain things. So you have a wild apple tree that God gave to us in common. What makes an individual uh, apple mine? Because I used my labor to climb up the tree and pick it. Now it's mine. I have a property in that apple. I have a property in my house. I'm about to go to it. If all goes right, I will engage in my Christian moral duty with my wife tonight. We'll see if all goes right. It's perfectly legal. I mean, we're consenting adults in our own home. Now, there's nothing immoral about what we're doing because we're, we're a Christian married couple. But in Ted, Wright, in Ted Cruz's viewpoint, I could bring some other girl to my house as a consenting adult. It's adultery, it'd be a sin, but we have the right to do that. Or I could bring a dude. It's homosexual, it's a sin, but we have a right to do that because we're consenting adults in our own home. I have a property in the home. Who says I have a property in the home? The government. You see, down at the county book of records at the courthouse, if you dig around in their files, you go to my address, my carved out plot of land, and it says, I own that. I have a property in that. 
And if somebody comes and breaks into my home, well, I'll just shoot them. But what if it's like 20 guys? I I can't shoot them all. I have to call the cops. And the government sends its agents to protect my property right. And then the government's going to take my property if I don't pay my property tax. Because the property tax is the amount I pay the government for the benefit of living under their protection. Let's go back to John Locke days and the founding of our country. There was no income tax. It was property taxes. That's how the government supported itself and still does locally. And there's also other kinds of duties like sales taxes, stamp taxes. There's all kinds of taxes. Ad valorem taxes. But I pay a property tax. You say, Seth, is it lawful to pay your property tax? Uh, Whose image is on the money? It's Ben Franklin's. My property tax is about 10, 50 Ben Franklin's. (laughs) It's so much. So I pay the government and the government's money or they'll kick me out of my house. If I don't pay my property tax, the government will put a lien on my house and sell it. Take the money I owe them for the property tax and give me the rest. I have a property in my house and without the government's recognition of it, it is useless. Somebody could just come take it from me and then somebody could just take it from them. And now we get to these people where they're consenting in the adults in their own home. What makes it their own home? Oh, the government recognized it. And you can't tell me what to do in my own house. (laughs) Except for pay you $5,000 a year to keep it. And here's the thing. I can't abuse my... I can't beat my child in my own house. I get arrested for that. Defects, they'll take them. So, well, they're not consenting adults. You're you're, you're being abusive to somebody. Oh, okay. Oh, wait a minute. The anti-homosexual law, if you rape a kid in your own house, you, you, you get put to death. See? Sorry, Ted Cruz. Sorry, critics. You gotta think through these things. But let's go back. Why can't the government say that you can't commit sodomy in your own home? Because it's your home? Because you have a property in it that the government recognized? You got a property in yourself, and if you want to sodomize somebody or allow yourself to be sodomized, that's your property you have in yourself? Why is that a human right? You've just created this thing, Ted Cruz and anybody else. Consenting adults in their own home can do what they want as long as they're not hurting anybody. That's not from the Bible. Because in the Bible, if you're, it doesn't say if it's in public or in your house. I guess they had tents back then. It just says if you do it, you're executed. And by the way, with all these executions in the Bible, why were the people executed? Because their continued presence was a detriment to the community and the other people. That's why they were excised from society. Even disobedient children. When it's the, One of the things Ted Cruz, was, he's trying to do a gotcha to Tom Askell. Well, Tom Askell, are you saying we're going to execute kids who curse their father and mother? Because go back and look. If, if, uh, if, if children dishonor their father and mother, they're, they're to be stoned. Why? Because children like that are bad for the whole society. Because the society is supposed to be set apart. And no, Tom Askell was not advocating that. And by the way, if you say, if you look at a law and say, this law has no conflict with the Bible, it doesn't mean you're obligated to say, hey, in our country, let's put every every Levitical law in place. We don't have to be theonomists. (coughs) Where's your human right coming from, Ted? Because you're, you're into rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, you only have this property right in your house where you want to sodomize somebody through the government. Mm. And now it's the government saying you can't do this. You say, I have a right in my body. Let's get down to it. You do have a right in your body. 
I have a right in my body, my wife has a right in her body, and what's the Bible say? That now I have a right in her body and she has a right in my body because we're married. And it's something called fornication, the Greek porneia. If you have sexual intercourse with somebody and you don't have a property right in their body through marriage, you are not free sexually under the under scripture. Under the laws of God, Old Testament, moral, civil, whatever, you are not free. You do not have the right to have sex with whoever you want to whenever you want to do it. You only have the right and, and the obligation to have sex with your spouse. That's what the Bible teaches, Old Testament and New. You do not have the right to commit adultery. You do not have the right to fornication. God gave you your body and your labor and then he restricted your use of it now you're allowed to do things with it in other words you can physically do things you're not allowed to do with it but it's wrong anybody anybody going to rent an airbnb at the beach i've rented a house I have the use of it, but I can't smoke in it, and I can't bring a dog because it's a restriction on what I've paid for. God has given us our bodies, and then he gave us restrictions, and we are liable to pay the penalty if we violate the restrictions. So if God has restricted my body to where I can't sodomize someone or choose to be sodomized, how is it against human rights for the government to say, the Ugandan government or any other one, that I can't sodomize somebody in the town square or in my own home? I just don't see it. You're not making the case, Ted Cruz. If God didn't give me the right to do it, then can't the government restrict me from doing it? Now, one could argue whether or not these laws are wise or not. If these laws are a good idea. By the way, if you're obligated, in theonomy, if you're a theonomist and you're obligated to follow these laws, it doesn't matter if they're a good idea or not. They're inherently a good idea because God said to do it. So no matter what happens, you, you know, kill them all and let God sort them out, if you will. The theonomist idea, right? We're breaking the eggs to make God's omelet. That's not being very charitable with theonomists. But I get I'm not a theonomist. I think that is a grave error. And I'm very wary of the post mills and the Moscow Idahos of the world. But I cannot stand to see a so-called Christian politician trying to trip up a pastor, an Orthodox one like. Tom Askell believes the right things on Twitter using the very words Jesus used to escape such a trap from other unrighteous wicked men. It's very sad. And here, here's, here's the thing. Here's why I believe that Russell Moore had to get on Christianity Today and say this law is not Christian. And that Ted Cruz had to tweet it out immediately. Because they don't want to look bad to the world or to the left. Mike Stone published a comment the other day about being on the credentials co uh, committee or the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention and they were disfellowshipping a church for affirming homosexual members <laughs> which very clearly goes against the Baptist faith and message like sorry we're not going to have a church who sends us gay messengers and one of the people on the committee said oh this is we don't need to do this this is really going to hurt Nam." Because the North American Mission Boards is really trying to make inroads to the gay community out west. And we're going to get bad press. Like We don't want to do the right thing biblically here because it will give us bad press. Politicians see their job as to be palatable and electable towards the moderates and leftists. Well, they know, Ted Cruz knows a leftist isn't going to vote for him, but a moderate might. And then Russell Moore sees his job as, let's make Christianity look good to sinners. 
It's not going to look good to sinners. Guys, Romans 1. God has turned over these people to want to sodomize one another. From the most discreet, modest homosexual who just lives in his house with his life partner and sodomizes one another and you know dresses like you and me and everybody else to some guy wearing unicorn makeup wearing Daisy Duke shaking his butt in a thong out on a gay pride parade. God has turned them over to that wickedness. And we're going to worry about bad press as the church, as Christians. We're going to worry about electability. What, how about we just proclaim the gospel? And just on a, on a side note, it's very sad that now we live in a country where people think it's their business what some other church is doing. I've got a Methodist friend on my Facebook who always makes commentary on my SBC posts. And I'm like, dude, the United Methodist Church is trash. Like, worry about your own thing. I'm talking about Baptist stuff. Like, okay, the SBC disfellowships a gay-affirming church. If you don't like that, don't be in the SBC. That's what America used to be like. We're losing that. That's a political comment. When it comes down to a kingdom comment, Be in the world, but not of it. And do not be conformed to the image of this world. And don't think that you're going to be able to justify or explain Christianity to somebody who hates it without sharing the gospel with them and the hope of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.